If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on video calls that go way too long, the expectations that come with a destination wedding, follow-up questions about vaccinations, and addressing wedding invitations for families with younger kids. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about post-pandemic protocols. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on dealing with all of that stress around masks in public places. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey! And I am noticing, yeah, as we approach episode 300... Yeah. That you and I take turns who starts the intro, but no matter who starts it, I'm Lizzie Post and I'm Dan Post sending always come in that order. Always. Always. Just hadn't noticed it. It's been almost 300 episodes. What's really funny to me is that we had that conversation, probably something like episode two or three of the show, made the decision and actually moved forward intentionally with that 300, 290 six episodes ago. (laughs) I'm so glad I mentioned it because I'm so glad to know you remember that. (laughs) I honestly don't remember why we decided to keep it that way, but it like, it created a consistency and a flow and just, it like, I don't know. (laughs) We just did it that way. Let's keep it. (laughs) Noted. (laughs) We are not changing the intro to this show. (laughs) Um, no, but 300, 300 episodes is, is, is like, you know, kind of a big deal. We're a weekly show. We've never missed an episode. We've never run a rerun. We've never accidentally missed an episode. Um, we've had very some days close, where on Monday, close. Monday, the show didn't go up or something and we've had to do some triage real quick to get you all the content. But, you know, whether we got by on having guest hosts come or whether we, sometimes recorded four episodes in one week in order to handle four weeks of all three of our schedules not matching up between you, Chris, and me. You know, we've we've kept this little baby going, and I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of our show. All right, I'm going to save all that for next week, I promise. No, it's okay. It's good to hear, because I'm proud of our show, too, and... 
we're part of it. We get to sit here and look at each other each week. But there is another big part of this show. And that's everybody who's listening right now. And there would be no show without all of you. And we want to include you in our sort of celebration and party that I'm hoping is going to run for a couple of weeks. So say anything you want, guys. Anything you want. (laughs) I feel like it is a celebration. It is a party. And I think we do want to do that. Um, no, this is not about to be an invitation to a giant Zoom call where you can see Dan and me and all our, well, in Dan's family glory and in me and my furball glory um, at home. But which, by the way, like, Dan's hair is wily, guys. You like my flow? You like my flow? <laughs> and I am definitely a lot less blonde than I used to be. <laughs> um, but this is an invitation, um, uh, not quite like our salutes, but we would love for you to send in a voice recording of you telling us either your favorite part of the show or what you love about the show. What's kept you coming back, even if you're a new listener and you just found us and you like us, or if you've been with us since episode one. And we would just, we would so love to hear from you. And hopefully we'll get a chance to compile um, a bunch of those responses together for the 300th episode. But I, I want to know, Dan, what's your favorite thing about doing this each week? I mean, because we, it's so different for us. Like, cause we're trying to figure out in our schedules when we can do it. You know, <laughs> do we know the answers to the questions? <laughs> yes. And it's, and of all the questions we've answered, that's probably one of the toughest. Why do you keep coming back? Why do you want to do this? And I'm thinking that in many ways our show has the same purpose now that it had on episode one. And it's probably the reason that it continues to work for us is that we get to do the version of our job that we like the most on this show. I was going to say, like, this is a hard question to answer. This is difficult. Are you kidding me? I've got a million reasons why I would never stop doing this. (laughs) Well, let let me um, acknowledge the difficulty. (laughs) Um... (laughs) No, let me just squash out your emotions. You can't have them. No, of course, cuz, of course. Acknowledge the difficulty. (laughs) For me, it comes from that thing that we started this intro with, which is that I can't even remember what we were talking about in those early episodes. It's a lifetime away. Six years is a long time. A lot of things happen. And as individuals, we're always changing. So in many ways, my whole frame of reference, my orientation to the show is very different than when it started. I'm a very different person. Dude, you were a single bachelor when the show started, I'm pretty sure. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I do remember talking about gatherings with like college friends and things like that as, as topics for those early episodes as opposed to... My dating life came up a couple times in those early episodes. How much are we going to share? What exactly are we going to talk about? Lessons learned. <laughs> Think parts of my life I don't want public. <laughs> and at the same time, there's no way to have a show like this, to talk candidly, to answer questions without the personalities behind the people at the mic emerging over time. And I really do feel like we've gotten to know our audience, like our audience has gotten to know us. And I treasure that. I treasure that relationship. I love getting Me feedback too. that says, oh, we we could hear dad's kids in the background. That's so much fun because I'm working to not have a lot of distracting noises in the background. So it's good to get the feedback that I could do a little better on that. And, and that it wasn't negative, that it was like, I love hearing them. <laughs> and it's not that I want to deny that. <laughs> um, I, but... It's it's that feedback that keeps us going, and it's also a, a, 
evidence of a real relationship, that we know each other. And I want to continue to know our audience and get to know them better and better. And those questions are, are a great way to do it because they're they're about relationships. No, it's really true, cuz. I mean, people write to us, I think of um, some of the advice that we've gotten from folks. For example, we heard from a listener um, at one point about the journey of parenthood and becoming a parent. And that particular journey was, you know, dealt with a, a path of infertility at one point. And our listener had been with us for so long, she was really able to internalize our advice. And she created a postscript segment for us about how to handle difficult conversations around fertility, how to have joy for people who are experiencing things that you are really sad about, or vice versa, how to uh, bring joy and express joy when you know that someone else is experiencing something very sad. Those are incredibly personal things that you have chosen to share with us and to help others benefit from if they could benefit from it. And Dan had mentioned back kind of as he started talking that this is the part of our jobs we like the best. And and we do. And it's funny because we joke about like, oh, you know, can we record today? Is it going to work with the schedule? And we have those days where it's like, oh my gosh, I just don't want to record the podcast. There's so many elements to it, so many things to juggle. It's Some days it's three hours of sitting on a Zoom call together or FaceTime call together and dealing with glitches or someone deletes one of their, <laughs> I won't say someone, one of us deletes our <laughs> files and then we have to re-record. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it could be anything, but it's, it, it is, it is a labor of love in a lot of ways, but it is still, it is that one part of our business that I just, I, you're going to have to pry it from my hands. It is so much something that I love to do. I love talking with my cousin about etiquette. I love exploring life with him. We basically do our show for our personal lives for like an hour before we get on the show. Only it's the stuff that we can't share because it involves other people and we got to respect their privacy. But like we talk about this kind of stuff because we do find it interesting. We do find it impactful. And I can guarantee you that doing this show every week, hearing your perspectives, hearing your questions and concerns has been straight up not only just a celebration, but I think a form of therapy for me and a lot of other people on this show. It's a form of talking things out, working through problems, figuring out where we want to be and how we want to get there. And to me, that's so freaking cool. And I would never want to give it up. So we may be approaching episode 300, but have no fear, listener. We are here to stay. We'll see you at episode 600. <laughs> Hopefully have some fun along the way. Heck yeah. <laughs> you know, I've mentally committed to 500 episodes, right? You know that in my brain, I'm like, I will not feel okay ending the show prior to 500 episodes. Okay. Just so that you know where your life just got dedicated for the next two and a half years. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Well, audience, please be with us. Be with us and share with us uh, what's your favorite thing about the show. Send us a voicemail to 802-858-5463. Again, that's 802-858-KIND. Anyone ever realize that's the word kind? Super easy phone number to remember. Um, 
but send it in. Or if you want to, you can record a voice memo or an MP3 for us off your phone and email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You, I'm pretty sure you can also send us a voice message via text to that 802-858-5463 number. So please send them in. We want to do a nice little segment. What's your favorite part of awesome etiquette? Well, my favorite part about this little refuge of consideration, respect, and honesty is our questions. Oh, do you think we should maybe be getting to some questions, my cousin? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email your next question, feedback, or comment to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question, comment, or feedback on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Burned Out Video Buddy, and I have a feeling a lot of people are feeling this right now. Dan, take us away. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been listening to your show for about six months now. I'm so glad I found it. It's been really cool to hear you tackling etiquette questions in our unprecedented circumstances. Although the times change, consideration, respect, and honesty always come in handy. Here's my question. During quarantine, I've been video chatting with one of my good friends once a week. It's been so great to stay in touch during this time. However, I have a hard time ending our conversations. 
When the meat of our conversation winds down, we often stay on the call, chatting about really casual things while multitasking, checking social media, grabbing food, etc. Sort of as if we were really hanging out in person. As great as it is hanging out with her, I don't always want to be on a call for two or three hours. There comes a time when it needs to end, you know? There isn't really a clear out for me to hang up, as I don't really have anything else to do during quarantine. Usually, I'm the one to excuse myself from the call first, which I feel a little bad about. She thankfully doesn't seem hurt when I wind things down, but I feel awkward being in this position almost every time. When and how is it appropriate to hang up? Burnt out on video calls. Oh, burnt out on video calls. Um, my my cousin is probably, there's a portion of his brain sitting over there laughing hysterically because he knows I am so quick to get off phone calls. I He's like, the number of times that Dan and I sat in an office together on a speakerphone where I end a good meeting by saying, okay, thanks everybody, bye, click. And he's just like, Lizzie, you wait till you hear the other person respond. I'm like, ah, there's tons of people here, no big deal. And he's right. And it's like, it's just, it's a thing. But mostly what I really, the advice I really want to give to you is from everything that you've written, this is not something that's bothering your friend. This is not something you have to worry about. This is all you. This is you just being nervous about it, but you're not getting any indicators that it's a problem. So when that kind of a thing is going on, I can ask myself, okay, can I tweak my language a little bit so that I feel less awkward about it? Because it doesn't seem like it's really about the other person feeling less awkward right now. So this idea that you just need to find the way that you're comfortable and it doesn't make you feel like you're trying to kick somebody off the phone. Um, and I, I had this moment the other week. I was on a call with my friend Ariana and we were we were chatting and we'd been chatting for hours, just like you're talking about. We started making breakfasts and doing things and, you know, puttering around the house, but on the phone together. And I realized I was really going to actually have to start going. I needed to get in the shower. I needed to get things ready for where I was heading next. I could have said all of that, all of that to her, but I could also just wind the conversation down, right? I could just simply say at the next kind of slight lull, oh, it has been so great catching up with you this morning. I really love our chats. I am going to have to get going, but this has meant so much. Thanks so much for really being there. And boom, you're done. You're out. Whether you actually have stuff to go do or not, this isn't about lying. This isn't about saying, oh, I've got to go do stuff. But saying, I've got to get into my day, or this has been a great chat, but it's probably time for me to hop off, that's fine. That doesn't have to be because something is or isn't happening. That could just be because it's time for you to not be on the phone anymore. I love your point that because you're not getting a lot of indications from the friend that this is problematic, that this is really about reaching a place of comfort within yourself in terms of how you do this. and. I started making funny faces in the call when I heard that because it made me think about the essential part of good etiquette, which is that it's really about self-assessment and reflection. That's where it can be so powerful. And there are a couple of etiquette concepts that are related to this that I think might be helpful. One okay. is that you're wise to pay attention to how you part ways with someone. We think a lot about greetings. Okay, we used to shake hands or hug or kiss and now we don't. How do we – Guess what's equally important? How you say goodbye, how you part someone's company, and whether that happens over the phone or in person, it's a transitional moment, and it's worth paying some attention to. So good on you 
for thinking about it. You are an aware person. Yes. And, and you can do it better and worse. And you can be too abrupt. You can be the one that's always ending things and cutting things off too short or interrupting someone else. And these are nothing that I'm hearing about in your question. <laughs> but there are ways to do this badly that create that feeling in someone else that you're trying to avoid. My version would be the bad version, the version where you just quickly hang up and let everyone else deal with it. You could fail to pay any attention to some really traditional ideas that it's the person who initiates or hosts who gives the indication when it's over or actually finishes and says the last thing. That was an idea that used to exist on business calls, that the person who initiated the call was also the one who had some responsibility for wrapping it. At some point, they were. I do think during meetings that, like meeting phone calls, I think that can really be true. Yeah. And, and how you translate that to a social setting, I think it can be really nice. You could play that role more concretely, but as relationships get more informal, the, the scenario that you've described here doesn't require the host to close it out. So you're within all of your basic etiquette parameters with a, a decent sample script, like Lizzie Post just gave you. You're, you're going to be in pretty good shape, and. You got to be able to do it because you got to be able to move from one thing to another. You do. And those transitions are are good moments to pay attention to, but you can't avoid them. So one place where this can get tricky is where you don't realize how long you've been on the phone for. You're in the middle of kind of a either more serious situation or conversation, or it's just not that like, oh, we're kind of bored and talking now, as opposed to like actively talking the meat of the conversation, as our question asker put it. And if you find yourself in that moment where you realize like, oh my goodness, I have lost track of time or something like that. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay for the for the initial part of the phone call to have been, you know, like I have time and I'm here and then for something to have changed and you to not acknowledge it, be clear about it. It's OK. Apologize. Just say, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize this was going to come up or I, I'm so sorry. I wasn't keeping track of the time. I hate to cut us off here. May I call you back at a different time or I'd love to finish this up. I do want to hear about what you're talking about. Sometimes that moment happens where it's like your friend has like put everything that they've been feeling and thinking about out on the table. And then you were like waiting for your chance to do it. And then the friend goes, oh my gosh, you know what? I just arrived at my location. I got to go. Bye. And you're like, ah, I was just your therapist for an hour. And now I don't get the therapy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Not that we should be using our friends as therapists, but you get it. <laughs> yeah. No. And that reciprocity in relationships is the one other sort of etiquette point that I was thinking about that there is a a subtext to relationships that involves each party investing and putting some effort in. And if anybody is playing the same role all the time, sometimes that just works and it is what's expected. But other times that starts to be a burden on them. And it's it's wise to pay attention to these things. I don't think this is one of those moments where it's problematic. It's not a heavy lift to be the one to say, uh, I'm starting to to fade here. I should probably wrap this up. That's 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 not one of those moments where I'm saying to myself, oh, it's important that they carry the weight on that also. So that reciprocity is important. And if your interruption and ending starts to impact that reciprocity, like functionally getting what you need out of the friendship, acknowledge that, try to repair it. But 
you're in pretty good shape here. I think you're in really, really good shape. We hope that the video calls continue and that you you get that connection and keep that friendship going during this time. But we also hope that they're just a little bit shorter. Leave on time and courteously too, thanking your host sincerely for the good time you had. All these things help to make a good party, a party that's fun for all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled Destination Wedding Doubts. My partner and I are in the very early stages of planning a wedding post-COVID. I'd be happy with the traditional big event in the city where we live, but he is not having it. He's made it very clear that the traditional trappings of a wedding day do not appeal to him, and he'd be much more comfortable with a destination wedding in our favorite resort, the Four Seasons in Maui. This sounds great to me, too, but I'm a little worried about the vast range of financial situations our guests come from. Many people in our circle are doctors and people with considerable wealth, and this wouldn't be an issue. But others are bartenders, single parents, and elderly people on a fixed income. Is it rude to assume people can afford to fly to Hawaii and stay at a hotel that is $1,000 per night? Not to mention the time commitment of attending a wedding that is five hours from our West Coast friends and 10 from our friends on the East Coast? Is there a way that I can signal to people that we won't be hurt if they can't come? I'm a bit lost. Many thanks, Robert. Oh, Robert. Well, first of all, congratulations. Congratulations. And we can say that now. Traditional etiquette, I would have said best wishes, but... No! I know. You know my thoughts on that. (laughs) I know. Well, I also know your thoughts about something else, destination wedding related. And it's a thought that I always keep in my mind now when I... I'm thinking about weddings and planning them, and that's that for some people, every wedding is likely to be a destination wedding. Even if you pick your hometown, there's probably a certain percentage of your guest list that is going to be traveling to be there. So that's a smaller percentage. So the percentage of people that are traveling to a wedding is always going to include a certain percent that are approaching it from this perspective. When you're talking about going to Hawaii and you don't live there and staying at a resort that is relatively expensive, you're thousand bucks a night. Relatively. Yes. (laughs) You're starting to talk about a guest list where a guaranteed percentage of it is destination wedding territory and are likely to be facing a pretty significant financial outlay and time outlay to participate. And that is definitely worth thinking about. You're smart to be asking this kind of question. Robert, you are very smart to be asking this kind of question. And it does not mean that you shouldn't go forward with this version of your wedding. But what it does mean is that because your group is one where you recognize that a a decent portion of your guest really will not be able to afford this and make this happen. I think that it, it means you have to prepare yourself for only the wealthy friends being able to make it and, and family being able to make it to the wedding. 
And that can be a really upsetting thing for some couples. Some couples that ends up being actually more painful than they realized. And sometimes it ends up feeling regretful afterwards. For other people, it is simply a, this is how we're getting married. And if you can make it here, we would be thrilled to have you. But if we can't, it's not the end of the world. It's not the only time we'll see you. It's totally okay. We'll, you know, have a Zoom link going and we will send pictures happily. It's just two different attitudes that you could take. Um, and, and there's a range in between those two attitudes as well. I think that the best thing for you and your partner to do is to sit down together and talk about, you know, the line that's coming Dan post sending from my sister, what's going to make you feel married? Is it going to make you feel married to do this wedding in Maui, in the beautiful place that you both really would love to get married in that suits the two of you, but maybe just without you know who they are in your family and friend range without the guests that would be able to afford it? Or do you think that what's really going to make you feel married is ensuring that those older family members who might be on a fixed income or those friends who are single parents, who are, you know, bartenders, that sort of thing, if it's really important that they're there, that's when I would look at each other and say, okay, how can we recreate the experience we're looking for from our favorite Maui spot? in a location that's not as cumbersome and difficult for half of our guest list to get to. And I don't know if it's half. I don't know if we're dealing with five people and grandma doesn't really care about coming to the wedding. Or are we dealing with people who it's like, no, my grandmother raised me. And to, to put her in a position where it'd be difficult to get her to come to this would not be okay. You know, I, I don't know what kind of positions we are to help people get there. It's another option if you're wealthy enough to actually just fly everyone out, by all means, go for it. I really like that idea of having that what will make you feel married discussion, really drilling down on what it is we're trying to get out of this. And broadly, there are so many choices that could help you achieve that feeling. You could decide that, yeah, we're going to do it here closer but we're going to blow up that whole sense of a wedding day has to look like this. We're going to do it the way that makes us feel great. We're going to have a luau themed whatever. And no one's going to be expected to do X, Y, or Z in this order. You could on the other end of things, another approach that would help avoid this problem. And I'm sure you consider this also is just really shrink down that guest list. Say to yourself, what we care about here is being there together. And we're going to invite the people that are, most sort of important to bear witness to this event and that we think it's likely to be possible for. And we're really going to keep that 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 cluster smaller. If you land in between those two things and you're deciding to go but send the invitations more broadly, I do think there's potential for trouble if you approach people anticipating their financial constraints. That yes. I, I wouldn't say something like, we're inviting you to this wedding, but we know it's probably out of reach, so we understand. That is a really hard message to get a working sample script for, either as part of the invitation itself or as a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Okay, wait, wait, I got to stop you for one second, though. It is definitely not something you can put on the invitation. You've heard us talk many times about not putting no kids, not putting uh, only these types of gifts, 
not putting all kinds of things on that invitation. And I am 100% with my cousin here. You would never put on this invitation. Here's where everything is. And if you can't afford it, we're so sorry. <laughs> like you, and I don't, I, Robert, I don't think you're actually going to put something like that on the invitation. <laughs> but I do think that some people might think, oh, I could just deal with it here rather than having those private conversations. But I'm feeling my cousin here where it's like you you don't want to point out to someone their inability to do something or that you are making decisions that will likely end up excluding them. It kind of highlights more. You know what it's like? It's like telling someone you're unfriending them, you know? <laughs> and I think there are ways that you can say what you want to say. And what I'm imagining that being is that these people matter to us. They're an important part of our life, even if it doesn't work for them to come and witness the ceremony itself is that you plan an event that will be inclusive of everyone. And the that related if, reception. if you really build that reception in a way that makes it celebratory and makes people feel like they're a part of it and gives them an opportunity to participate, that's a great way to say, we do care about you. We're planning all this. And even if you haven't got an invitation or if you've had to decline your invitation, there's still going to be a way for us to all celebrate together. I love that idea personally. I like the fact that it does what you need, the the reassurance to your friends and family who might not be able to afford it. it. It does that. It gives them that reassurance and that permission of, I don't have to feel pressured to go because there's another way to celebrate with them in the future. It could be a belated reception. You might really not do a big reception in Maui, although it sounds like the type of resort is the type of thing you would do some kind of decently like done wedding reception at. But you could also just simply have a second reception. So many couples right now are absolutely leaning heavily on this idea of small ceremony now, big party later. Small, you know, small even ceremony and reception now, big party later. And I think this is going to be just almost a regular MO of most weddings because I do think the financial bubble is bursting on the wedding industry right now. And I think that we are just seeing people not able to go to weddings, not able, not willing to go into debt over going to weddings. Tiny weddings are trending big time right now. And it is just, I think this entire pandemic is going to encourage that trend. So Robert, I think that your heart is in the right place. I think you're focusing on the right things. I think if you and your partner have a conversation about what you really want this wedding to look like and what's important, you can then kind of move through the options that Dan's laid out for you to determine how to communicate this to guests and do it in a way that really does make everyone feel good and doesn't highlight a sympathy that we may not need or that may not be welcomed to put upon someone. I guess the last thing to say is congratulations again and good luck with the rest of the planning. Please let us know how it works out.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is a bit of a follow-up, and it's about vaccine vetting. Lizzie and Dan, I just listened to your show that included a question about how to ask other parents about their kids' vaccine status in order to set up a playdate. I'm wondering how I should respond when I'm on the receiving end of that question. My daughter is, for some complicated medical and personal reasons, not vaccinated at this time. This is something that we have decided to keep private, along with all of her medical details. We believe our daughter has the right to medical privacy. Yet, when I decline to comment on her vaccine status, I feel as if I'm outing her, because if she was vaccinated, I'd just say, yes, and the conversation would be over. But when I decline the conversation, I get asked a lot of invasive medical questions. I know people are just interested and passionate about keeping their child safe, but I'd really rather not have the conversation at all. So when I'm asked by a fellow parent if my daughter is fully vaccinated, how do I respond? I'll admit I'm tempted to lie so that we can just move on. But that's not honest. Ugh. And there is an actual ugh written in there. How do I respect my child's medical privacy and be honest with other parents without it getting weird? Thanks for your help, Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous. Thank you for the follow-up. We had talked on a previous episode about the ask on this question. How? What? What is an appropriate ask if you're a parent who wants to determine about people's vaccination status before you organize people getting together. And we looked at how you could make that ask well. So here's the opportunity to play the other role in that scenario. You're the person who's answering. And as our question asker points out, if you say, yes, it's no big deal. Everybody's vaccinated. That's usually the the intent of that question is to determine that. And if the answer is yes, everyone feels safe and things proceed. I love that you are holding yourself accountable to a standard of honesty. Stick to that. You will never regret it. There are some minor awkward moments that might come up as you try to figure out the benevolent truth, the kind of honesty that you can share and keep your relationship with your daughter and her medical privacy front and center. But it is hard to anticipate the types of problems that emerge from a lie. When you get outed later on or you forget to keep track of who you've told what. There are just so many um, reasons, social reasons that it's important and also medical reasons. Oftentimes people asking the question about vaccination are asking because it really matters to them for a very important reason. So recognizing that safety supersedes etiquette, sticking to the honesty there is is important and I applaud you. I think what's sometimes hard and, and what anonymous can be getting at here is that some people do ask for real medical reasons, you know, and when your kid isn't vaccinated, it's a it's a question that you often have to ask because you have to protect your child. But people also ask because it's a political conversation. 
It's a, a views on society kind They're of thing. They're just curious. <laughs> They're just curious. We hear that line so much. Um, and it is, it is actually important to be curious and it's important to explore. You hear us talk about that, but you also hear us talk about medical issues being that third tier category. And it's why you hear us often suggest quite a lot of permission to discuss the topic. But Anonymous here is the one who knows all of that and is dealing with the questions coming the other way. So you've got a few options. And let's look at those. So for me, the one that I want to start with is the one that you sort of say is the one that you wish you could do, <laughs> that you yeah. could just tell people, I'm, I don't answer that question. I'm sorry. That's a private medical issue. I won't talk about it with you. You can say that. If if there isn't a policy at the daycare that says you've got to provide proof of vaccination before your child can be enrolled, then it's just a personal decision and it's entirely up to you how much you want to share. The caveat is that you have to be prepared to accept the consequences. If that's the route that you decide to go, you just also need to be prepared for whatever answers you get. And those answers may include, oh, it's really important to me that everyone my child plays with is vaccinated. We can't have a play date. And if that's a, an outcome that you can live with, then that's probably a choice that you can live with. And I think that's that it's, it's reasonable and worthwhile to keep that in your mind. Dan, what I really like about what you just did was you put it in terms of comfort zones. And I think that that is uh, it's sometimes it's comforting to remind ourselves of where we're comfortable. And if you're comfortable with your daughter and, and you declining playdates based on vaccine status, then you're right. It's a really it is actually a really easy thing to be able to say and adhere to and stick to. Let's look at another option. Let's look at okay. the possibility of a, a very quick, brief answer where you give a little bit of information, but you also limit the discussion. So you say something like, actually, she's not vaccinated because of a medical condition. Maybe, and for some people this is true, it's not an option. Or maybe that's not something that you can add onto it. Or you um, just stop there because of a medical condition. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Most parents are going to accept that kind of a quick answer without prying or probing much deeper. And it really is children like your daughter who can't be vaccinated that people are concerned about and want to check vaccinations for because they're protected by everybody else getting vaccinated. Another option, and I'm sort of scaling up the ladder of complication, is that you can pause the conversation and pick it up on your own terms at a later time. So an answer that sounds more like... That's actually kind of a big issue for us. I'd love to talk about it with you sometime when we have more time or a little bit of privacy. And I love this answer, you guys. I love this answer. All of a sudden, you're carving out the space. You're telling people what kind of a conversation you're willing to have, the kind of seriousness that you approach it with. And if it turns into that more political conversation that we talked about at the beginning – you can approach it as a political conversation and really think about how you're going to manage separating that from personal choices that you're making or the situation that you're dealing with personally. Anonymous, we know that we have unpacked a number of big things in this question. 
And we know that this is a very important topic. It's an extremely delicate topic. We definitely can't cover all of it and, and everyone's needs for it in one question. So we encourage both feedback and for questions to keep coming. This is definitely going to be something that we all continue to address and deal with. And as you know, on this show, we like finding ways to do that that can allow conversations to happen. And I am really proud of my cousin and really, really impressed with his sample language on what is a really, really delicate topic. Anonymous, we hope that this helps you and your daughter be able to have really great relationships with the people in your community, whether or not they result in playdates. It can provide the kind of environment which is essential to good health and wholesome living. But a modern full-time health department cannot exist without active citizen support. It's up to you. Our next question continues the topic of addressing adolescence. Hello. It's so nice to have an authority to go to. Here are my questions. Number one, I am addressing wedding invitations. I have two families on my list that had late-in-life boys, both under eight. Their other children are over 15. Do I address as follows? First line, Mr. and Mrs. John Doe. Second line, Jane, Josh, and Master Justin, followed by the address on lines three and four. Or do I omit the master in this case, or do something else entirely. Option number two, if I have multiple siblings under eight, I can address as follows. Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, Mrs. Jane and Judy on the next line, Master Justin on the third line, followed by the address on lines four and five. Or do I need to do as follows? Option three, first line, Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, second line, Miss Jane, Miss Judy, and Master Justin, followed by the address on lines three and four. Thank you for any assistance, Amanda. Lizzie Post, what do you think? Um, Amanda, I think that you could probably get away with using any of these. I think technically none of them are correct. And the reason I'm saying technically none of them are correct is because none of them utilize the last name for the children. You are right in that you probably want to be separating out each individual child. So the third example is the one that's closest to what you would do. And that's the example where you're saying Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, the next line, Miss Jane, comma, Miss Judy, and Master Justin. But even it's not quite right. <laughs> um, and so because I believe we're looking for formality here with this, it would be Miss Jane Doe, new line, Miss Judy Doe, new line, Master Justin Doe. Um, so you would technically put each child on their own line. And now you get to the point where this is why people just use the phrase and family. And they say Mr. and Mrs. John Doe and family on the exterior envelope. And then on the interior envelope, you write everybody's familiar name. So their first name or the name that you call them if they have a nickname or something like that. And that would be a way to do it. You could have the children on the line if you wanted to. Um, but it's all on, on one line, the way that you do, but technically I believe it's supposed to be that they are stacked up as individual recipients of this invitation, even though it's one invitation for basically five people. So 
the points of etiquette that I'm hearing, and, and help me if I'm deciphering this correctly, is that when you use a formal title like master or miss as a formal title, you include last name. And the second point being that only established partnered couples occupy the same line on an address. And that, Dan, is the key, is that Miss Jane, Miss Judy, and Master Justin are not a thruple. And so that's why you don't put them in that way. And it's it, it, it gets cumbersome. Think about families that have, you know, like five kids, six kids. Um, so you can see why things start to jump up to being like, all on one line or, you know, half the kids on one line and half the kids indented on the next line. You know, you can see how people start to play around. My dear mother, Trisha Post, who is the etiquette encyclopedia in our family, says that pretty much anything will work, but that that the, the right thing to do in this case would be the Miss Jane Doe one line, Miss Judy Doe, uh, Miss, excuse me, Judy Doe, the next line and the third line with Master Justin Doe. This is one of my favorite kinds of etiquette answers because there is an answer (laughs) that there There is is a a sort of a height of formality and a structure to it that you do this way you have to know the rules to know how and when to break them my first thought when i read this was i think most people just want to have fun when they're using a title like master or miss sort of formally and that in some ways i want to encourage playfulness with that formality so if you know those structures and you know that you're breaking the rules or not in ways that you like or don't um, that that you're making good choices. And that I, I like your mother's thought of you could probably get away with any of them because at some level you're having fun with this type of formality at this point. Depending. Yeah, I think. But with that, you also have to take into consideration the person receiving it. My grandmother receiving this incorrectly would really throw a fit or at least it would be something she would notice in her head and probably bring up like six months later at some dinner party that you're at. <laughs> just mentioning it, just in but case anyway, you didn't um, know. I don't want to make that sound like my grandmother was a jerk, but she she was like, she was a tough cookie in some ways. And that would be, I could see her doing something like that. Well, waiting six months is the kind version. It's like, oh, I'll bring this yeah. up after an appropriate amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> so the point being that some people will notice this. Some people are traditionalists. Some people... Uh, do appreciate it being done right. And then there's a very small group of people who are offended if it's done wrong. And that I think you have to take them with a grain of salt and both respect, respect the offense because we really try to do that. And at the same time, um, un- understand that it's a difference in perspective. But just, just be prepared. Those people are out there. And if that's who this John Doe family is, then you might really consider working hard to get it right and not sort of have fun with it, as Dan says. You're going to know best. We actually don't even know whether or not this is a formal wedding. And that brings up a whole other question, because if it's casual, we can go with just, you know, uh, it, it, it can just be different. Um, it's It's important to separate those lines out. If you are choosing to use titles, Miss, Miss, and Master would be the titles you would choose to use. Amanda, thank you for a question that falls squarely into the most etiquette of etiquette topics, formal addressing of invitations. Thank you for your questions. Please send us your updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question on the show. And friends, keep them coming. We want to keep this show going. So send them in. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, a great big thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Sarah about the bonus question in episode 295 on retirement gifts. Lizzie and Dan, just a quick note about retirement gift suggestions. My husband just retired and left behind a crew that clearly loved him very much. They gave him some very nice mementos that he clearly treasures. So I thought I would pass along a couple of these ideas. My husband drives an older car that he loves, so they made a mug with an image of that car and also had post-its made with the same car image. Those are, I know, right? Those are personal to him. (laughs) And he loves them because it shows the care they felt in choosing those as gifts. Any personal image on something, like a mug, would be great. A sailboat, golf clubs, a special place. The other thing that they did was go in together on a gift. Something like a nice wooden box, and when you open it, everyone signed the inside. A beautiful object on the outside, personal when you open it. That really works best from a group, which might not be right for this situation, but it is definitely a treasure to my retired husband, Sarah. Sarah, I love your idea for gift uh, group gifts. I actually, very similar to one of my favorite group gifts I've, I've seen done, my parents were given a table from their wedding party, like a you know a little coffee table, and they had gotten a plaque. And every member of the wedding party had done their signature, their actual real signature, and given it to the engraver who then engraved it all on the plaque. And in the middle of the plaque is the date of the wedding. And so it's just this really nice like thing. And to me, it was always so incredibly cool. So if... Um, if writing on the inside of the box wasn't possible, another thing you could do is collect signatures or even just have the names printed, but done on a really nice engraved piece of metal that then gets um, tacked on or, you know, uh, adhered to the object. Really nice, really nice gift. I loved both of these ideas. And it is, it's that personal connection that really gives so many gifts significance. And a signature is a very personal thing. But even the, the just the image on the mug, just that I yep. know you well enough to choose something <laughs> that you're connected to, really personalizes things. The, the, the big picture umbrella that I also loved out of this uh, feedback is that retirement gifts can be really meaningful for people. Yeah, absolutely. This is a big event in life and definitely consider it. Think about how to use this kind of gift giving to honor people. They will treasure, cherish and remember it. Sarah, thank you for sending that in. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, we're going there. We're talking about masks and confrontation. 
Um, this is a, a new issue for us to deal with, even though it feels like it's been a conversation for probably about 75 days now. But this is emerging etiquette, right? This is about our uh, ability to open up, to operate within the world that we have been given right now. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It's important that we pay attention to our interactions because we can sit here on a lovely etiquette post, me alone in my home with no one, Dan with his incredibly sweet family surrounding him on his mountainside. And it's really easy to say, yeah, just, you know, take care of yourself, be in control of yourself. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. It's a big deal when it doesn't go right. It's a big deal when you have people who are operating under stressful conditions, having to interact with one another and having different fears, opinions, needs for the issue at hand or about the issue at hand. And as you all know, we talk about it in our business etiquette seminars all the time. Stress leads to rudeness, which leads to stress. And then you're in a vicious cycle. And that's how things escalate. That's how employees at stores get hurt. That's how patrons at stores get hurt. That's how people get angry and get into their cars and then go drive away from the place and have the potential of being a dangerous driver because they are now heightened and upset. This is how people decide not to come back to work when they are trying really hard to get back to work, when they might have made a lot of arrangements just to be able to be there for the day. There's a lot going on when it comes to masks in public spaces right now. Are you feeling the stress, cuz? You know, I do. I feel it a little bit, but I also feel like there's a lot of clarity that we can have around this issue that's so helpful. And I really appreciate the work that our assistant producer, Bridget Dow, did prepping this segment and that she looked at the legal sort of background here. And it was really clarifying for me that businesses get to define policy around mask wearing. It's like no shirt, no shoes, no service or that sign in the bar that says we reserve the right to decline service to anyone. That that's that's a privilege that businesses have in many ways. Obviously, there are like anything, you'll fire in a crowded theater and you're testing the limits of your free speech. But right. th those yeah. are prerogatives that places of employment have. And if the policy is everyone's expected to wear a mask to patronize a place of business, that's what's required. And it's not a black or white issue. It's not a question of personal freedom. It's a question of, are you wearing a mask? Has <laughs> someone asked you to leave? Um, are you wearing a mask? Are you welcome to stay? And there is all sorts of more complicated social interaction that we're going to lay on top of that basic framework. But the basic framework's pretty clear. If an employee says it's our policy here, we're going to ask you this or that, you have to listen to that. And if you're wanting to patronize a business, whatever your personal feelings are, you want to wear a mask. And if you're like me and your personal feelings is, I don't feel comfortable inside with other people right now. Yeah. And masks make me feel a little more comfortable. I think that there is a, a, a whole layer of consideration and courtesy around opting into all that and participating with a sense of ease and cooperation 
that can really just change everything. One of my favorite pictures right now of me and my daughter, Anisha, is a picture of us in our masks on our first trip out. And it's a little selfie we took right when we got our masks on. And it's a close-up of us. And she has the most beautiful eyes. And it's it's clearly a father and his daughter. And our eyes are so alive. And to me, it's a picture that just communicates so much love that, that it's the two of us together doing this new thing together. And we're learning how to take care of each other and the people around us. I, I, I love this picture so much. It's the first picture I've been tempted to share on social media in a long time. I don't <laughs> share a lot of pictures. I particularly don't share many pictures of my daughters. And I, I just love this image so much. And it to me, is an opportunity to start to think about it in a different way. I love thinking about masks as caring, as protecting, as cooperating, and as something that we're all doing for each other. And the more I keep that in mind, the, the, the happier I am, the better off I am. And I think for the most part, when we look around and, and what a lot of people are seeing, and I, I do need to um, put in the caveat here just that Dan and I are in a state with very low numbers and very high compliance rates. And so I just, it's a little, our perspective is a little different. And some of you may have been dealing with much scarier, much more stressful public space and indoor environments than, than what Dan and I have each experienced. And, and we've experienced stressful moments in those places too. But when we're hearing our local news and such, we're hearing a a lot of compliance with mask wearing. And I just know that is not the case across the country. For the majority of us out there, there is a lot of compliance going on for this. But I I just want to say if you're in a place, if you're in a particular area, if you're in a particular social group, where it's not the case and you, you, there is more potential for confrontation, I think it is really important to be paying attention to the ways that you can handle these kinds of confrontations well, the ways that you can protect yourself. The actually place that all of this came from was a story in the news about a Costco worker who handled an instance of someone not wearing a mask and being told, um, I'm sorry, sir, we're not accepting customers who aren't wearing masks right now. And, and the guy just got angry and unleashed on it, right? You know, we're this moment of stress that we're talking about that leads to rudeness, that, that leads to, in some cases, violence or belligerence. Um, it's really there. And this gentleman who worked for Costco um, was really being applauded for how well he handled someone speaking like that to him and just continued to state the policy and let the options for moving forward be known. And it's, it is a great example to turn to for sure. But Dan, we're dealing with this, not just in stores, we're dealing with this in our homes. Um, I've heard stories, for instance, of friends who get together and make agreements about what is and isn't okay. And then two of the three groups of families that have gotten together or something break the agreements. And then the third isn't willing to break it. And now the kids are upset or the, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, now you're having a hangout that we're not having, you know, and we have to explain that to each other. Or I have to go leave because now the hangouts changed or I have to ask you all to leave because now the rules are different. And it's, this is, this is, this is tough. 
<laughs> it is. And I think that the example, that kind of tough example picture you just painted illustrates to me two of the clearest advice points moving forward. And one is mm-hmm. that if you're having an interaction or you're thinking about a social interaction where there isn't uh, sort of a defining parameter, you're not adhering to the policies of the place you're going or you're not going to what strictly observe whatever the governmental regulations are, th- that you're not going to use those as your guide. Right. I-, I can't overstress the importance of before an interaction like that, just having a very Basic, clear, candid conversation about what your parameters are for being comfortable yourself and being prepared to hear what someone else says, to listen and to do your best to reach some kind of accord. You can think practically, is there some way that we can find some common ground? And and, and that that's the work. That's just a little bit of work ahead of time. Dan and I did this during that meeting, his first outing into the real world. We hadn't seen each other in something like 60 days. And we agreed to go for a walk out on the waterfront in Burlington after uh, your errands in town were done. And I remember I, I brought you the cupcakes, but I wasn't sure if you would accept them. So it was an offer and with an understanding of I understand if you don't want to take this. But we also communicated throughout that gathering with what you and Anisha would be comfortable with. Because I I wanted to be deferring to what you guys needed in that. And it was really easy. But you also changed the rules as we went on. And you actually let your mask come down because we were in an outdoor space and we could we could separate further than six feet apart. And you started to feel more safe than you had anticipated feeling. And that it's a different way to think about that. I mean, it's the positive version. It's the version that gets a lot of people to roll their eyes and go, oh, yeah, right, post kids. When it goes well, it's really nice. But it's also a version that tells a story of of observing what's going on, taking count of your personal reactions to things. I can imagine a lot of people getting together, going to a friend's house for a barbecue, immediately walking in and feeling like it's not what they were expecting and saying, you know what? I actually feel like I've got to leave for the night. And a lot of us are all being really understanding right now of people's comfort levels and that they might change. I have a friend who comes over and sits in the yard with me and she says, oh, today I'm like not caring and tomorrow I'm totally paranoid and like completely on it with the hand sanitizer every second of the day. And she's feeling herself go back and forth between how hardcore she needs to be and how relaxed she can be. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that too right now. And again, that ping-ponging is stressful. And we go back to it's leading to just this stressful feeling. As much as these social interactions feel so good after being locked down for so long, it leads to more stress sometimes. It does. And and the again, sort of the way you're talking about it illustrates for me the second point that I wanted to make, that you, you set up your ground rules for yourself. And because conditions change... You also are aware the expectation is that you stick with your ground rules and that if you are going to alter them, that that needs to be explicit. I think one of the reasons what you talked about when you and I met for the first time is that you and I have the kind of rapport where we can kind of work out that exchange in real time. And I even thought about it afterwards. I was like, I should double back with Lizzie. I wasn't as experienced using masks and meeting people then Mm -hmm. as you were. So for me, this was all brand new, first time, and I, I, I had 
found myself afterwards saying, boy, you know, I, 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 I could do a little check in with Lizzie about how I did. And that was you did great. anyway, but that, that was a, a, a thought. I said, and, and you do get situations where things are changing on the fly. People feel less comfortable. I think being able to return to what you agreed as parameters is totally reasonable. I think excusing yourself is completely reasonable. If you want to loosen things up, I think talking to someone before and saying, boy, you know, I didn't think we'd be outside so much. Do you mind if I take this mask off? I'd feel much more comfortable. I think are all really good things to keep in mind. I know this has been sort of a, a free-form discussion. You and I have reminisced. This isn't exactly hard, hard-hit points. But to me, it's important to continually remind ourselves of the, the very stressful conditions that we are under and that we are all feeling it. And that stress leads to rudeness, which leads to more stress. And the only way the only way that I know of to break that cycle is to use politeness as a tool. And that is one of the only things I personally know that I can do to make myself feel better about my own behavior and to make myself feel like I have some form of positive contribution to what has potential to be a negative moment. And that's, it's like my, my, golden ticket in my back pocket of just like, this is a way out of this nasty, awful cycle that can happen so very, very easily. Dan, do you have any sort of parting thoughts? I know very kind of different postscript segment for us, but I'll I'll piggyback on that thought of using politeness as a tool or etiquette as a tool, not feeling constricted or confined by the idea that there are certain expectations of you <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that it's, that it's that important too. that you adhere to them for good reasons and that the outcomes from that can be really good and are worth investing in. I, I will bring this back around, but I, I will share I was listening to another podcast that I love and there was a journalist who I really respect talking about how he feels kind of introverted in most areas of his life. But when he's interviewing somebody – He's so good and he feels free (laughs) because there's a structure. He gets to ask questions. He gets answers. And I know he's not having the questions asked of him, but it's the structure of the relationship and the social interaction that lets him be himself more. And I was thinking about the relationship between responsibility and freedom, between structure and creativity and masks and rules around social distancing and how – Adhering to some basic structure, our ability to conform well can be really liberating because it can open up the possibility to see my cousin who I haven't seen in six weeks. And I can go to a place where I I wouldn't have been comfortable otherwise because there is enough structure that I can lean on that and it's going to free me some. And it's a really old idea, this idea of balancing rights and responsibilities. It's it's something that is as old as democracy itself. And I really want to continue to lean on etiquette as a part of and a structure that we can use to free ourselves. These are hard times. Uh, these are confusing times. And the the more I think that we can lean on our patience and our goodness and our good faith in others, of which I know it doesn't seem like it via the news sometimes, but there are reports that there is a lot of compliance going on with mask wearing. There's a a lot of people who do step aside when they see someone coming on the sidewalk. And I think to comfort ourselves 
when we can and when it feels right to uh, with the fact that a lot of us really are in this together. And the longer that it goes on, I think in some ways, the more resilient we can be. And I just, I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope because a lot of people talk regularly that they, they care about the interactions that they're having. They care about the fact that they have some that are not good. And that to me is hopeful because it means we still care and we're still going to find ways to care for each other. So I just want to encourage everyone to head into this week, especially if you're listening on Monday, with that attitude of care and finding ways when you can to care about those around you. The job never ends. As our communities grow, our health needs change and increase. With the rapid growth in population, the dangers of disease and injury become greater. Overcrowding often results in a breakdown of health standards until conditions like these develop. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a voicemail from Lauren in Arizona. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just wanted to give a shout out to one of my awesome neighbors, She is really talented when it comes to sewing and has been leaving beautiful handmade masks out in front of her house on a weekly basis with a sign letting us know they're free for anyone who needs them. They're really well made and she makes them in several beautiful fabrics. It's a really sweet gesture for those who haven't been able to find masks on their own. Thanks. Love the show, Lauren. Oh my gosh, I love that. I know I don't read the salute before the show because I like to be Me either. sort of surprised and delighted by it. And I didn't know this was coming. Bridget, great work. And Lauren, thank you so much. There is This is such a great example of caring for each other. I it love is. it. It is. It is. We see an example of it in the winter. Um, people in Vermont do what's called giving trees. And they knit like scarves and hats and mittens and it's the giving tree. And if you and they put them in a plastic bag and then hang it from the tree. And if you need anything to keep you warm, you can just take it for free for forever. And it's that kind of stuff I think is awesome. So keep it up. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for listening. Before we close our show today, I do just want to give one more call out for our upcoming 300th episode. Please remember to send us a voicemail or some kind of MP3 file telling us what you love about awesome etiquette. We're hoping to put a compilation together for the 300th episode. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us, share the show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share your podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. 
And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking, which helps new people find awesome etiquette. And I just want to mention that Spotify has eclipsed Apple Podcasts as the number one distributor of podcasts. And anything that we can do to climb our show rankings on Spotify is much appreciated. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.